Hello, and welcome to The Healing Place with Fee. On today's episode, um, I want to talk about generational trauma. So I'll, I'll, I have a totally separate episode that I'm going to be recording about generational trauma, but I'm going to talk about people that were in my life that also experienced that generational trauma. One of which was my, my oldest sister. Um, her, her name was Bunny. And Bunny and I, um, we're six years apart in age. So, you know, the title of today's episode is called, Am I My Sister's Keeper? Bunny's Story. Since Bunny is no longer here and able to speak her own truths, I'm going to do that for her. That way, the, the real truth will be told the way it should be. Who was there in our lives that we really could feel safe with? No one. It was just her and I. So even though we really didn't confide in each other, we shared a lot of the same pain and trauma. So we kind of were there for each other in some capacity or another. Our grandmother, she was the one who made all the rules in our house. She paid the bills. Well, albeit my aunt paid the bills. Um, but my grandmother was the one who enforced how the house was to be ran, like household chores, who was doing the cooking, uh, etc. And she always also was the one who punished my mother and her children, meaning um, she was sometimes the one who beat us. Or if we got grounded, she was the one that was enforcing what the punishment looked like. Uh, my cousins, they were completely exempt from any aspect of generational trauma or abuse. I'm not sure why that's something. That's a question that I still, to this day, um, that I ponder. But that's for another episode. So when my sister became a victim, the entire ordeal was completely overlooked and it was swept under the rug like a dirty little secret never to be discussed again, ever again. You know, Bunny's life was pretty fucked up. She got beaten a lot. She got beaten almost daily, it seemed like. You know, I could still hear her crying and clapping, standing in the corner screaming, Mama, I love you, you know, as my mother was getting ready to beat the shit out of her. You know, me and my cousins, when she used to get beat, we would always kind of laugh about it because we thought it was funny that she was, like, clapping and standing in the corner going, Mama, I love you, but... You know, later in life, I started to feel really sorry for her. Um, And that was when the real understanding of what happened to her really became more um, poignant to me as I grew up. You know, my sister, she was a chronic bedwetter. You know, so when we slept, we used to have to sleep together in the same bed. If she peed in the bed the night before, you know, my mother would make us, you know, drag the pissy ass mattress outside of the house and like lean it up against our house, you know, to let it dry out, out all day, all day and all night. You know, it was embarrassing, you know, people walking by and they'd see this pissy ass mattress sitting up against the house and, you know, not knowing whose bed it was, but it was our bed. And my sister, she got in a lot of trouble, especially at school. She got into fights regularly about who knows what. She had a really bad temper. You know, my family, they never really investigated that further as to the why she was so rebellious and so angry, you know, and, and ultimately at some point she got kicked out of high school shortly before graduation. So she didn't even get a chance to walk across the stage and get her diploma. She ended up having to settle for a GED. 
Um, my sister, you know, how can I say? When she started when she started getting molested. I think I was about seven or eight. You know, her and I were like six years in age. You know, age difference. So um, we grew up a lot together. I I saw a lot of what happened to my sister growing up. You know, I remember the first time that it happened to my sister. I was I was very scared and confused. I I didn't understand what was going on, why it was happening. I I just I just didn't understand it. And for the rest of my childhood, I witnessed this happening regularly. Um, you know, she eventually was molested by three different guys, one of which was her father. You know, and I can still remember um the first time it happened in the room that we all shared with my mom because, you know, my mother, my my half-sister, my half-brother, and I, we all shared the same room. And so my little brother, he slept with my mother. And then my sister and I, we slept in the same bed until my mother was able to afford to buy us bunk beds. Um, but I remember that day like it was yesterday. You know, we're in the our, our bedroom, and the bedroom was pitch black. Um, which is one reason why I cannot sleep with the lights out. I cannot be pitch black in a room because it brings me back to my childhood. But the only light that um, illuminated our room was a light that was kept on in the hallway. And so, um, you know, I can tell by the silhouette of the first person that came in that, um, you know, molested my sister, you know, and, and the way that my sister and I slept in the bed, you know, I can look out, I can look out of the bed, out of the, the bedroom door, which was open, you know, anytime that someone walked into the bedroom. Cause like I said, the light that was, that was illuminating our room was that of in the hallway. Um, and I could see, you know, they were checking to see if the coast was clear before they entered the room. And it, this vision is so, it's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's so vivid that I can still smell the alcohol on their breath, you know, and I, I slept within inches of my sister and when these occurrences were happening. So I know for a fact who and what they were doing to her. I didn't quite understand what the hell was going on, but I knew exactly what was going on and who was doing it to her. And after a while, it became so regular that, you know, she never told anybody. And they even got to the point that they would bribe her with money to keep her quiet. So as if my sister's life wasn't already fucked up enough, um, by the time she turned 21, she was diagnosed with lupus. And so over the years, it, it really altered her appearance. Um, Bunny used to be really pretty. She was really pretty. She was like the, the color of you know, like melted caramel and she had long thick pretty hair and um she always kept herself looking really nice um that was one thing i will say about my sister you know i remember um the picture the one and only picture that vision that's still in my head of my sister uh she this was right before graduation and they took her graduation pictures and my sister had this very elaborate updo in her hair and she had on like this pale pink no I'm sorry pale blue um dress and it had like the ruffles around the the chest area so that it almost kind of like had the shape of a heart on the front of the dress so I still remember that picture of her 
in that dress. Um, you know, she was athletic and slender, you know, she, but she knew even though we were poor, she knew how to wear the clothing that she wore. So after uh, one too many confrontations with my grandmother, when she was about 23, 24, and my grandmother eventually kicked her out. So she was forced to go live someplace else. You know, that's when she met the father of her four children. And she eventually, she had four children, uh, three boys and one girl. But the guy that she was in this relationship with, he was a pig. He was a dirtbag. I mean, I was, you know, 12, 13, and he was hitting on me going, oh, you're so pretty. I wish I would have waited for you. You're going to be so pretty when you get older. You know, and he cheated on her all the time. It was quite regularly. Um, You know, he abused her a lot. He physically abused her a lot. He, I remember one time um, she came to the house and this was before my grandmother and her had the big, huge fallout. She'd come to the house to come and visit. And she said something that he didn't like. And he was like, can I talk to you for a minute? And so they go outside and go behind the house, go in the back of the house. And when she came back, she didn't say anything, but it was very obvious what had happened to her. He had slapped her and she had like this big, huge red print on her right um, cheek. You know, and I just, you know, I just remember just feeling so bad for her. Like, man, you know, she could jump out of one frying pan and go into another one. And this guy, he was so horrible to her that he used to beat her even when she was pregnant. You know, and she, I remember one time we had talked on the payphone because um, my grandmother was like, you can't talk to her on the phone in the house. If you want to talk to her, you need to go someplace else. So I went to a payphone to call her. And she called me, or I called her rather, and she was crying. And she's talking about how she really, she wanted to get away from him. And she had planned on trying to get away from him. Um, but that didn't get to happen. My sister, um, she had a really, because of all the abuse that she experienced, You know, she went on to abuse her own kids. Like my nephew, my oldest nephew, she used to beat him for no reason. If he didn't eat his food, she'd beat him. If he made a mess of himself, like soiled his clothing, she'd beat him. If he didn't pick up something, she'd beat him. And we used to tell her all the time, buddy, you need to stop putting your hands on that child because if you don't, you're going to end up in trouble. Well, that eventually did happen, but it wasn't because of my nephew it was because of my niece so the one the only girl child that she ever had um she ended up going to jail for abusing this child and she abused this child so badly to the point that she's permanently disabled and she will probably never ever be able to speak because of what my sister did to her Um, she also, one of my nephews also passed away under suspicious, um, circumstances. They didn't charge her with that one because they didn't see any evidence or find any evidence that would, um, indicate that she was responsible for the child's death. But I think she probably was responsible for that one as well. So, um, whenever, when the authorities found out about the abuse to my niece, she got put in jail. She went to jail. She was incarcerated for six years and uh, the rest of her kids were turned over to foster care. Yeah, they have a father, but their dad 
he completely abandoned every last one of those children, pretended as if they didn't exist, went on with his life, made a new life for himself and with a new family, and he never once came back for his kids, um, which was really sad in itself. And, you know, they even asked our family if they would be willing to take the kids in. But my grandmother was like, nope, we, we don't have any means to take care of them and we don't have any space. So they're just going to have to get turned over to foster care, which that in itself is heartbreaking. Um, so when, when Bunny finally did get out of jail, she, you know, for the longest time, my sister always had this weird relationship with her dad. And I know what he did to her, but it was almost like, she, because of the severity of the abuse that she sustained, she carried on with it as if you know it was quite normal to have an intimate relationship with her father. Um, and you know, even the guy, even her dad's wife was suspicious. Like she was like they spend incredible amount of time together, and it's just very, very strange. Um. But, you know, she denied anything, which I know for a fact was a lie. Because, again, I slept in the same bed as her. So I I knew exactly what was going on and what had gone on. And there was even a situation where we ended up going out to Moments, Illinois, which is where her dad lived at the time. It was me, her, and my cousin. My cousin was supposed to act as a lookout. And um, she goes upstairs with her dad. And I noticed when she came back down, you know, her, you know, her clothes looked like they were, she was fixing herself. But the one thing that she forgot to fix was her hair is her hair was all over her head. She looked disheveled. She looked like she had just fallen out of bed. And, you know, it was very strange to me that she looked that way, especially when she didn't walk in that way. But of course I was a kid. They weren't going to believe me if I even went to somebody to say something. You know, one thing I will say about my sister is when she was incarcerated, she had gotten raped. And she told us about that part. But she never, never, ever confessed to what had happened to her by her dad or these other two so-called friends of the family. Um, You know, she even participated in abusing other young girls that I knew. Um. You know, I was her first victim. She would simulate uh, sexual intercourse on me using things or doing things to me. Um, But she also um, acted as a lookout when there's other family members that were abusing uh, other kids. She acted as a lookout for them. And, you know, the sad part is, is, you know, my sister, she never got a chance to confess or tell her story about the, all of the abuse that she sustained and then how it affected how she even became a mother herself. And so um, I know every man that hurt my sister because I was the only witness that when it happened every single time and it happened regularly throughout our childhood, my childhood rather. Um, my only wish is that I wish that when everything had happened that our family had helped us, you know, took us to a therapist, comforted us or provided us with safety, but they didn't. 
And that trauma ruined my sister's life, just like it ruined my mother's life. But I'm the only one that's left. So it's up to me to say that I'm not going to allow this to ruin my life. I'm going to do something about it, which is the reason why I created this podcast in the first place. It's to be the voice for victims that either are vict- or either are voiceless or they're not yet ready to tell what happened to them. So while my sister's bunny's story is, is quite tragic in itself, I tell this story because she never got a chance to tell it. And more importantly, she never got a chance to heal from it. And I hope that anybody that's out there listening that has experienced what my sister and I experienced, I hope that they somehow or another or someday is able to speak their own truth so that they can find a way to to deal with this, accept it for what it is, but more importantly, work with a licensed clinician to heal from it because, you know, there's life, there is life after trauma and I'm a perfect example of it. I'm, I'm constantly a work in progress, but I do feel like that I have done something that most trauma victims don't get oftentimes don't get a chance to, to do. And that's to really heal from it and use their trauma story as a, an example for others to be able to learn from. So I just want to say anyone out there listening, um, while I do not give any medical advice, I tell my story and the story of others simply so that maybe along the way it will give you the encouragement to say, if we can do it or if they can do it, so can I. Take the time necessary that you need to heal so that you can be able to speak your own truth. So my name is Fee. Thank you again for listening in on The Healing Place. I hope that something I said today makes you think, gives you hope. Um, Because, yeah, unfortunately, my sister, she's no longer here. So I have to be her keeper of secrets. But these are secrets that should no longer be secrets because it childhood trauma is something that no one should ever be afflicted with. So thank you again for listening to The Healing Place. I hope you have a good day. Take care.